Would you go with me please to the book of John this morning? Get your Bible and something to make notes with. Not just making a note only about what you might hear me say, but the Lord speaking to you individually as I'm speaking. And uh, very important when you know you're getting something from the Lord, you need to make an effort to record it. Write it down, make a note some way on your phone so that you don't let it get away from you. And uh, I know when it comes, it's so real and clear, you think, well, I'll never forget this, but you can forget it so quick when you get back more in the flesh. In John 3, verse 14, it says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Oh, eternal life. Verse 16, he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Said out loud, eternal life. Everlasting life. According to this, who gets eternal life? Those that believe on Jesus. Skip down to the 36th verse of John 3, 36. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Not going to get everlasting life, has it. Eternal life is the present tense possession of the believer. He said, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life. Now there are millions and millions, I guess more than that, billions of people that don't believe in Jesus, but believe that they have a blissful eternal future, that believe that all the different religions are just different avenues and paths to the same God and that we're all brothers and sisters, and we'll all wind up at the same glorious heaven and place. If you believe the Bible, you cannot believe that. It just doesn't work. And sometimes people say, well, I have a right to my beliefs. You can believe whatever you choose to, but if you're a Christian, you don't have a right to just make up anything you want to believe. A Christian means Christian. You should believe what the Christ said. You should believe what he said and not alter it and change it. Well, as we've gone through these scriptures and there are previous messages that it would behoove you to get if you hadn't heard them that come before this one, that it's not true that there are many ways. Jesus said, I am the way. He said, nobody comes to the Father except by and through me. Is that true? He said, if you don't believe I'm the one, you'll die in your sins. And the Bible talks about an eternal death and a second death, which is separation from God who is life. So no, it's just not true that one religion is as good as another 
and that we're all you know, on different paths to the same place. If you believe the Bible, you have to acknowledge that's a lie. These are lies. And thank God the truth will make you free. There is, Jesus said, there is a broad way that leads and goes into destruction. And there's a lot of people that's going that way. But Jesus said there's a straight and narrow way that it leads to salvation. And there's relatively few that find it. Aren't you thankful that the Lord has allowed you to know that Jesus is the one and the only way? Hallelujah to the Father. He's the one. He's the only way to eternal life. There is such a thing as eternal life. And it is knowing Him and knowing God. This, John 17 said, is life eternal. Thank God for the knowledge of this. Thank God for the revelation of it because it sets you free from the fear of death. Hebrews, if you would, look with me in the uh, second chapter. Knowing this makes you free. The truth does make us free. And the way it does, it liberates us from lies. If the truth liberates and sets free, what would deception do? It would do the opposite of the truth. It would bind you. Lies blind and lies bind. But the truth lets you see and the truth makes you free. Look in Hebrews 2 and 14. He said, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus also himself, likewise took part of the same that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. Now let's just stop right here. Death is not cessation, and death is not the end. Death is not ceasing to exist. That's not true in any degree. Death is separation from life. If you're separated from life, you're not living the God kind of life. You are experiencing death. Physical death is not the ceasing to exist either. It's simply the separation of the spirit from the body. And according to the word, the believer's body, even if it decomposes, even if it uh, decomposed out in the desert and was never found and the molecules were blown to the four corners, according to the scripture, when the trumpet sounds, <laughs> it's going to come back together and be changed and glorified and be reunited with the spirit. So death is not the end for spirit or soul or body. It is separation of one from the other. And eternal death is separation from God, who is life. Eternal life is union and fellowship with God. The Bible said, if we believe on him, we'll never die. He said, verse 15, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. First John says fear has torment. It's torturous. It's vexing. And 
the, um, the root of all kind of fears is the fear of death, the fear of dying. Why? Because if you don't believe in God, you don't believe in eternal life and you're not a believer, then you believe that when a person dies, that's irrecoverable loss. That's why people will say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And what that means is they're thinking they are gone, gone forever. They don't exist anymore. You'll never get to see them or hear them or be with them or talk to them. And very soon that's going to happen to you too. You're going to cease to exist. These are lies. If you believe the Bible, you can't believe that junk. It's not true. And for a believer, Paul said by the Spirit of God, for for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Gain. Not loss. Gain. Everybody say gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better, he said, than being here. If that is real to us, then we stop fearing death. And we are liberated from all the shackles and chains and bondage and restrictions that come from the fear of dying. People say, well, well what if I die? Uh, let me help you out. The Lord tarries is coming. It's not much longer. You're going to die. <laughs> Sometimes people say, you know, something happened. They almost had a, a wreck or, or this or that. And they say, man, whoo, I almost died. You know, like they've dodged the bullet. Well, no, you're still going to die. Physically, if the Lord tears is coming just a tiny bit. So we should be ready to die at any moment. Because in this world, in this life, it's happening all around us. Uh, you know, it, it touches our heart that so many have left because of this virus. It just brings to an awareness, though, what's going on every day. Even in times when there's not some unusual disease like this virus, 155,000-some people leave the planet every day. That's normal operations, 155,000. Now, every one of them matters to themselves and to God and to their family, but if we could back off outside the atmosphere of the earth and we could see in the spirit, we would see scores of thousands of arrivals to the earth. Spirits. What is that? Births. Births. And we would see scores of thousands of departures. People leaving the planet. Either going up or going down. And this is just this is what happens every day, every day. And for us to get up, go to work, clean the house, mow the grass, wash the car, and act like we're going to do this for the next thousand years is crazy, is foolish. Do we not see what's happening all around us? We are here for a tiny amount of time. This is the shortest thing we will ever do, and we need to be thinking more about the next life than we are this one. Now, it will affect what we do in this life. 
I'm not saying we need to act like this life is nothing and like Tom gave that testimony, one person that was 45 said they were in a hurry to leave. You'll be out of here soon enough. It's going to happen so fast, you don't want to rush it. You want to come back to why am I here? Why am I alive? Why do I have some more days and possibly years? What should I be doing with them? What's God's plan for my life? How do I need to accomplish it? And that is tied to what happens next, after this life. Now go with me, if you would, to the book of uh, Mark, the eighth chapter, Mark 8.34. Mark 8.34, Jesus said this, when he had called his people to him with the disciples, he said, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, um, deny himself, let's back up to verse 34, denying yourself is not just denial for the sake of developing your own piety. This is a willingness to sacrifice to help others. This is a willingness to sacrifice something for yourself in order for somebody else to be benefited. Just, you know, the scripture talks about this, just denying yourself to try to show your spirituality, which a lot of different groups have done that. That's not what he's talking about. It's not sacrifice and denial for the sake of denial and sacrifice. It's I love God. I love those people. I'm willing to put myself off in order to make something happen for them. That's what he's talking about. Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. He didn't go to the cross to prove how spiritual he was. He didn't go to the cross to develop his piety. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? He did it because we needed it. We had to have it in order to be saved. And so he was willing to put himself through that. And he was willing to sacrifice some things he could have had personally in order for us to have this. And that's what he's saying. If we're a Christian, a Christian, That means we follow in the Christ's footsteps. We follow in his path. We think like he thinks. And we're willing to sacrifice like he sacrificed. We can't pay the price to save people. That's already been paid. But there are things we can do that are Christ-like, that bless others. In verse uh, 35, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospel's, the same shall save it. Verse 36. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Verse 37. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to notice the Lord 
draws a contrast. Your life, and that is your life in this world, or your soul, your soul, to save your life or to save your soul. Let's back up and read it again. Verse uh, 35, whoever will save his life, what will happen? You'll wind up losing it. Now he's talking about this life. Our life in this world right now, our time down here. If this is all you live for, you will be disappointed. No two ways about it. No matter how hard you work, no matter how much you plan, no matter what you do, your ideas and your dreams about your perfect life, about reaching your goals, about getting to where you can retire, where you can travel the world, where you can have the kind of houses and cars you want, where you can fish and play golf or whatever it is you want to do, and you have arrived, you've got the perfect American dream or whatever it is, you will be disappointed. You will be, because it will not turn out like everything you imagined. And so many things uh, that, that sounded so good, when you actually get into doing them, they're different than how you dreamed they would be. You got fantasy and you got reality. They're not the same. And there's no way that a spirit being made in the likeness and image of the Creator can be satisfied with fallen, cursed stuff and a trivial, temporary thing. You just can't be. There's not enough money in the world. There's not enough stuff in the world. There are not enough accolades and, you know, success in the world. You will be disappointed. And so you can work hard, 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 and you'll find it slipping through your fingers. And you'll wake up and you realize, I'm old and I'm about to be out of here anyway. What did it matter? All this stuff I've done. So you'll lose it. If all you live for is what's down here. But there's another way to live. If you will lose your life for my sake, Jesus said, and the gospels, you'll save it. What does that mean? You don't live for your own personal gratification. You don't live to fulfill your own personal idea of the perfect life. You live a life of sacrificing what you thought you'd want for the moment in order to do what you believe God wants you to do. Sacrificing, and what will happen? You'll save it. Verse 36, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul? By being your own Lord, being your own Savior, living only for your own fulfillment, you can lose your soul doing that. You lose yourself. This life is temporary. Your soul is eternal. Which one's more important? Well, if all you know is this life and you have no faith, you don't believe in God, then everything is for these few days right now. 
and you'll wind up slipping through your fingers. You'll wind up losing it. He said, if he gains the whole world and loses soul, what have you profited from this life? Verse 37. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? The scripture said in Luke 9, 24, what is a man advantaged, 25 rather, if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? Young's literal translation says it like this in verse 23. Verse 23, if anyone does come after me, let him disown himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What is a man profited having gained the whole world and having lost or having forfeited himself? Let's go over this again. You can save your life down here and lose your soul. Or you can forfeit trying to live your dream life down here without God and be willing to sacrifice and find life and save your soul. Which is more important, save your life or save your soul? (laughs) It's not a trick question. (laughs) Save your soul is the correct answer. Go to Psalm 39, please. Psalm 39.4. Don't, don't let this get past you, child of God. This is so important. Don't, don't go, oh, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, uh, this life don't last forever, and, and I'm going to heaven, got eternal life, praise God, that's all I need to know. So uh, tell me something else I'm more excited about. Friend, if you're not excited about this, you don't understand what we're saying. This is life eternal, and it doesn't start later on. It's now. We have it now. Because of our new birth and faith in Jesus Christ. He said, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, you have made my days as a hand breadth. A hand breadth is not from bottom to finger, it's straight across. <laughs> a hand breadth is the width of your hand. And he said, that's, that's how long my life is. He said, it's as nothing before you. Verily, every man at his best state is altogether vanity. Young's literal says it like this in verse 4. Cause me to know, O Jehovah, my end, and the measure of my days, what it is, that I know how frail I am. Cause me to know. Psalm 90, verse 12, you don't have to go there, but Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Now you'll find many, many people, they don't want to think about dying. They don't want to think about how short their life is. It bothers them to bring it up. And that's a big problem. Because they're either not born again, they don't have eternal life, or they're not aware that they do have as a believer, and they're still gripped by the fear of death. But knowing how short your time is affects what you do today. It affects your remaining time. 
The devil is the master of distraction and delusion. He wants us to live down here in a dreamlike state that we have all of this time left. Oh, I'm a young person. I got my whole life in front of me. How much? Well, about that much. <laughs> well, I'm not that old. I'm middle-aged. I should still have a lot of years left. Do you? What if you got 40 more? How quick is that going to come and go? The truth is, we have a tiny amount of time before we're out of here. And yet, most people are living, get up, go to work, clean the house, fix your hair, eat, do it again, like they're going to be doing this for another hundred years or another thousand years. It's living in delusion. It's living in a false dreamlike state. The Bible said, awake thou that sleeps, and Christ shall give you light. And part of the light is, make me to know the number of my days. Help me to see how brief this thing is. Teach me that I may apply wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is profitable to direct. If you knew you were only going to be around three more days, would that affect what you did today? <laughs> would it affect how you thought? Huh? Well, with God, that's how it is. In Psalm 90, let's just look there. Psalm 90 in verse 1. Verse 1. He said, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever, you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. We, we don't even know how to process that. You turn man to destruction and say, return, you children of men, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, and as a watch in the night. How many remember last night? Do you remember last night? Well, how last night seems to you is how the past millennia seems to God. The last thousand years seems like last night to him. Why? Well, he's the one perceiving time correctly, not us. We haven't been perceiving it correctly because we haven't been around very long. They tell us, and I don't know what they're using to, to measure it, but those that study, astronomers, tell us, they estimate, I think it's more of a guesstimate, the universe to be tens of billions of years old. Tens of billions, maybe 15 billion years old. Well, I, I can't dispute that. It's obvious some things have been around for a long, long, long time. How long is a billion years? A billion years. Well, if you live to be 120, what's that? 
to a billion years or 10 billion. Well, God's the one who made the universe, so he was around before that. No wonder he's called the ancient of days. Who? The ancient of days from everlasting to everlasting. And that word eternal life that we read in John 3, everlasting life, eternal life, we get our word eon from that Greek word. And those that study these things, they, they, they have categorizations for measures of time, and they claim an eon is a million years. I don't know if that's right or not. But he is saying that eternal is eon after eon, after eon, with no end in sight. That's what everlasting means. Eon after eon after eon. Do we have eternal life? Where do we get it? We got it from the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. We got it from the Ancient of Days. He's our Father. He fathered our spirit. We sinned and death came and separated us from life. But thank God because of Jesus, we have received eternal life and been washed and restored to fellowship, reconciled to him, never to be separated from eternal life again. Nothing can separate us from the love of God and from the life of God. And so age after age, we will be in union with God who is life and with each other who are alive in him. So if I'm going to exist for another million years and another billion years and another trillion years, how will I see this hundred years back here? A lot of people, it's 50 years, it's 60, 70, it's, it is a drop in the bucket. It is the tiniest thing we will ever do, time-wise. Now, that doesn't mean it's not important because the decisions we make in this life determine our destiny, whether we believe or don't believe. And what we do with it determines our reward. Now, our righteousness is not based on our works and what we do in this life. It's based completely on what Jesus has done. But our reward is based on what we do in this life. I mean, the Lord talking to the churches in the book of Revelation. These are New Testament born-again churches. He said he's going to reward them and us according to your works, according to what you did. The Bible said in Colossians, we should set our mind on things above, not on things beneath. I've heard people say, they're too heavenly-minded to be any earthly good. That's not true. That cannot be. Now, you can be goofy-minded. <laughs> you can call, oh, people call a lot of stuff spiritual. That's got nothing to do with God and nothing to do with spiritual. But you cannot be truly heavenly-minded and that make you no earthly good. 
Do you think Jesus was no earthly good? How heavenly minded was he? He said, I didn't come from heaven. I didn't come down to do my own will. But the will of him that sent me, I mean every other phrase, is the father this and the father that. The father, the father. I only do those things that please him. Where's the father? In heaven. And uh, he's conscious and aware of heaven and the mandate and the kingdom. Did that make him effective and powerful in the earth? Was he aware? He was there for a very, very short time, less than 40 years. He was here. He knew, I'll be out right away. But there's a job to do. There's a mission to accomplish. Can you say amen? Thank God for the mission. He said, teach us, verse 12, to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. Let's pray that prayer out loud. Say, Father God, open my eyes, cause me to know my end, the measure of my days, how frail I am. Teach me to number my days and give me wisdom how to best spend my remaining time, my remaining opportunities, help me to redeem it fully and not lose or waste any of it going forward. I ask for this in Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Praise God. I'll soon be out of here, and so will you, soon and very soon. We need to be ready to go. Right now. This world's a dangerous place. Have you found that out yet? I mean, there's enough stuff in the air, in the atmosphere, in the soil, in the food you eat, in the stuff you drink. There's enough stuff everywhere to kill you 10,000 times every day. It's only by the grace of God that we are sustained and kept. But we're not going to be here for centuries So why am I here? How much longer am I here? That long. Okay. I should be thinking about getting done what I need to get done before I get out of here because I am soon and very soon out of here. Shouldn't I? James 4, 13. This is New Testament. James 4, 13. Go to now you that say today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city We'll continue there a year. We'll buy and sell and get gain. We'll make money. We'll get profit. He said, where is you know not what shall be on the morrow? For what is your life? It's even a vapor, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For you ought to say, if the Lord will, we'll live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. See, this is what he's talking about. Living your life only for your own desires and fulfillment with no acknowledgement of God or no interest in his plan or his kingdom. 
And how many people are doing that? They're thinking, okay, I'm going to go to school on this. I'm going to major in this. I'm going to work over here. And then I'm going to build this up. And I'm going to get this promotion. And we're going to invest in this. And we're going to buy this and sell this and make. And then we're going to pay this off. Did you ever stop and ask God? Did you ever, you know, you remember the man whose crops brought forth plenty? And he said, uh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger barns. And I'm going to say, soul. Now, now that word's significant because it keeps coming up in that. Soul, you got many goods laid up for many years. Eat, drink, be merry, have a good time. In other words, you got it made. You got it made. And he said, then the Lord spoke to him and said, you fool. This night, your soul will be required of you. That word soul again. And whose shall those things be that you laid up? That's what he's talking about. Making your plans, doing your things with not a thought about God or eternity. That is a fool's mentality. That is a fool's plan. Acting like there's no eternity. Acting like this life is all there is. We're not going to do that, are we? By the grace of God, we're not going to do that. He said, you should check on the will of God because your life is a vapor. Your life is a mist. (laughs) Just a little mist. Have you ever seen a morning mist? How long does it last? There it is. And then you get busy doing something. You come back and go, well, where's that mist? Well, it's gone. Sun brightened up. It's gone. That's our life. That's our whole lifespan. On this earth. Look with me please. In the book of John. Thank you Lord. Aren't you thankful that the Lord has allowed us to see and understand some things. So that we're not just living in this life only. John 12. John 12 and uh, 23 Jesus said the hours come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verse 25, he that loves his life shall lose it. You know, the scripture told us, don't love the things that are in the world. What your eyes desire, what your flesh desires, and the pride and haughtiness, showiness of life. He said, don't do that because the love of that shows you don't love the Father. That's taking the place. So I, I changed my verbiage and my, my phraseology some years ago. I don't say I love any kind of thing or possession. That's too little. Everything down here is temporary. It's fading away. It's going away. I don't love a car. I don't love a house. I don't love a machine. You, you know that machine's never going to love you back. That house is not going to love you back either. I love God and I love people. Is that you? I love God. I love his spirit. I love his word. I love his things. I love his people. And that is something that's not going to stop with the end of this life. That goes on. That's going to last forever. He said, uh, He that loves his life will lose it. He that hates his life in this world shall keep it to life eternal. If any man serve me, 
let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Part of that's going to be him speaking our name and in front of all human beings and and angels and demons saying, this is my beloved son. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Come be ruler over much. Do you want to hear that? Do you want to hear that? Well, what we're doing right now determines what we hear and how much reward comes later. Acts 20, 24. You know, Paul said this, dealing with a lot of things he was going through. He said, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear to myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He was willing to sacrifice comfort. He was willing to spend everything he had. He he was willing to be incarcerated, shipwrecked, stoned, beat with rods. He could have said different things, done different things, gone different places and avoided that. But he was willing to endure this. Why? For a greater resurrection, for a greater reward. He was more aware of the world to come and the life to come than this life. He saw souls as a much greater value than a few years in this life. It's a mind renewal. It's a completely different mind and heart set. Notice in uh, Luke 14. Luke 14, 26 says, If any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be his disciple. How are we to understand that we're told to love each other? So how would you wind up hating mother, father, brother, sister, even yourself? You hate and despise anything that would keep you from pleasing God, that would keep you from finding and fulfilling the will of God. That includes your own life, your own ideas, your own plans. Notice in John 15, 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no man than this. That a man do what? And this is a male or a female man. Do what? Lay down his life for his friends. If I don't hold on to my life and getting what I want out of life and enjoying my life, apart from God, what do I do? I can lose my soul trying to hold on to my life. Or I can be willing to lay down my life for the Lord and for the gospel. And the way you do that is to lay it down for other people. God in heaven, what does he need personally from me? He'll accept my offerings and my worship, but he's in good shape. 
Jesus. He doesn't need money. He's not sick. He's not hurting. He's not frustrated or confused or depressed. How can I lay down my life for him? He doesn't personally need it, but his kids need it. His children down here need all kind of stuff. And he said, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, you did it to me. He takes personally what you do for his children. Everybody who has children, they, you know, that think right, they feel that way. If you do something for their child, I mean, they'll appreciate it many times more than if you did it for them, some kind of good thing. Well, God's that way. He appreciates it. He, he values it. Not living my life just for me, but laying it down for him, being willing to put myself on the back burner, being willing to wait on my stuff and see that God's will is done. What's his will? He's not willing that any should perish. He wants people's needs met. He wants people saved. He wants people restored back in fellowship with himself. He wants them healed, delivered. Who does he use to accomplish these things? He uses his body. We are his hands. We are his feet. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. 1 John 3, look at this in verse 14. 1 John 3, 14. He said, we know that we have passed from death unto life. And this is this eternal life. How? Because we love the brethren. He that loves not his brother, he's abiding still in death. What is death? This is separation from God. Verse 15, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Because when we're born again and we receive eternal life, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. This is how we know that we have eternal life, that we are truly born of God, and that the reality of this eternal life has set us free from the fear of death. See, if you think this life is all there is, especially as you get older and you see your time running out, you'll get desperate to get what you thought you wanted in this life. You'll get desperate about, I'm getting older, I don't have this yet. I'm getting older and I haven't experienced this yet. I don't want to miss out. I don't want to miss out. You only live once. And see, that's not right. That's not right. For the believer, you only die once. The believer, it's not you just live once, you live forever. And when you realize this and that all the natural temporary things down here, they don't have eternal value and significance. What if you missed out on a few things down here? It won't matter at all as the centuries go by and you're experiencing complete glory with God and his people. But if I have been born again, If I have received eternal life, I've also received the love of God. 
that love has been shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Spirit, and my nature inside is the very nature of the Christ and of the Father, who is the greatest givers of all. And my desire will be to help somebody else. My desire will be so strong and the love in your heart so strong that you're willing to sacrifice something yourself. You're willing to miss out on something yourself. You're willing to wait on something yourself. You're willing to lay down your life for your brother, for your sister. And in so doing, you're laying down your life for God. And Jesus said, you do that and you'll find your life. You'll keep your life. Your soul is saved. You won't miss out on a thing. Hallelujah. Throughout eternity, in the ages to come, he's going to reveal and disclose to us, manifest to us, the exceeding riches of his grace. Can you say amen? Man, when you believe this, when you see this, it will make you shout. Stand up if you would. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Oh, somebody say glory be to God. Glory be to God. Glory be to God. Put on the screen for 2 Timothy 4 and 16. Well, back up to verse 13. I'm, I'm, I'm rushing too quick. 2 Corinthians. I said the wrong thing, didn't I? 2 Corinthians 4.13 is what I was trying to say. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believe. Therefore have I spoken, we also believe and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Did the Father raise Jesus from the dead? Then according to the Bible, those that believe in him, they will be raised up also. Said out loud, he'll raise me up too. He'll raise me up too. Verse 15, for all these things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. For though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. The inward man is not wearing out, is not aging and growing older, only developing and is being renewed every day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. Everybody say, just for a moment. It works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. I've said this not too long back, but it'll bear repetition. Brother Jesse Duplantis relates an experience that he had of the Lord of being caught up to heaven. And among other things, he said he met Paul, <laughs> Paul who penned these epistles. He said he met him and talked to him. And he said, Paul said, would you do something for me? He said, oh yes. He said, would you tell the people this, this phrase right here? And see, God used him to pen this. He said, God's people have made in a lifetime of affliction, seeing their life 
as a lifetime of affliction. He said, no. He said, it's but for a moment. He said, take it back to a moment. We're not just to experience failure and defeat and confusion and, and hurt. Even during this time, we are overcomers. We are victorious ones. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And the peace of God passes all understanding and all difficulty and all challenge. He calls light affliction. And it is but for a moment. Everybody say, but for a moment. But for a moment. And if we're obeying God and if we're willing to sacrifice and even lay down our lives for God and the brethren, it's working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Do we have any great things to look forward to past this life? Oh, the best by far is yet to come. We got this tiny little few decades here, and then we got these billions and, and eon after eon in front of us. Surely we can keep it together for a moment more. Right? And obey God and serve God and run our race and finish our course and please Him. Read the next verse, verse 18. While we look not, everybody said out loud, while I look not at the things that are seen. Because the things that are seen are temporary. But I'm looking at the things that are not seen. I'm looking at the eternal. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And when you do that, it delivers you from all fear of death. It gives you perspective. It helps you not waste your remaining time. It gets you focused on finishing and focused on getting out of here. Somebody say glory to God. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.